Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. About two weeks ago, uh, some of us went into the new building. It's, uh, praise God, it's almost ready to be opened, and we're getting there. But uh, one of the things we had to be trained on was how to shut off the alarm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, John, John will testify. Uh, we, were, we watched the guys show us how, you know, in case a kid pulled a fire alarm or something, and it's not really a fire, how to shut, silence that <laughs> kind of a thing. You'd really, we'd become really popular all of a sudden if that, that, you know, and we were watching the guy, and I was watching the guy, and I shook my head, and yeah, I get it, and I don't have a clue. <laughs> uh, isn't it neat, though, we live in a, in a place, in a society, in a country where we have so many safety valves, I guess, so many things that protect us, so many redundancies, so many alarms. Like, I'm so thankful we have firemen, so thankful for police officers, so thankful for uh, hospitals and doctors and nurses. I never want to see you guys. I never want to, you know, get to, you know, in your business, so to speak. But I'm so thankful you're there. Even insurance. Like last month I had to choose insurance. And that was stressful, but I'm thankful to have health insurance in case I need it. I don't want to use it. Right? We uh, look at a lot of things that we have in our life uh, in America, in, in, our, in our valley here, and we, we have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, sometimes I wonder, when we think about people following Jesus, or people believing in Jesus, sometimes I wonder if people look at Jesus as an insurance policy. Like they don't really need Him in their normal life. They don't really go to Him in any consistent fashion, or he's not present in any real way, but he's there somewhere in case I need him. Or maybe some people, their, their understanding of Jesus is like breaking in case of, you know, in fire or something. Or, or uh, in case I really need him, I'll give him a call, like the fireman or the police officer. Belief in Jesus, what does it mean in a real way? Is that all that Jesus hopes for us, is that we'll, in our time of crisis, our time of trial or tribulation, that we'll, we'll, we'll turn to Him only then? Of course not. Belief in Jesus means something far richer than that, doesn't it? Something that we have in our daily life, in our normal life. <clears throat> I wonder if some people think that Jesus is only a miracle worker and not their God day by day, walking with them through their life day by day, and situation by situation, and circumstance and circumstance. What does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. Please look at verse 21. Mark, thank you. <laughs> I keep going to Matthew for some reason. Thank you very much. Maybe I should be preaching in Matthew today. I'm not... Mark. Man, thank you. I've got some help in the house. 
Mark chapter 1, verse 21. (laughs) And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as, as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So if you've been with us so far in our sermon series in Mark, you've heard many of Jesus' early uh, delving into Galilee, his, his journey into Galilee, his, his going to the people and calling on the people to do what? To repent and believe. He's called people to follow him and, and they followed him. He goes into a synagogue in Capernaum. <coughs> Capernaum is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it was a cosmopolitan place, a lot of Jewish people, but a lot of Gentiles as well. Business place, uh, a place of a lot of different uh, um, activities and businesses and uh, a mixing of peoples and languages and cultures. On the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue. In every place where there's Jews, uh, maybe 10 families or more, there was a synagogue. The synagogue was a place for people that couldn't go to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, a place to gather, to pray, to worship. Uh, the, the men would gather on the Sabbath. Somebody would read the scriptures. Somebody would probably expound the scriptures. Sometimes it would be a scribe, a teacher of the law. Sometimes it would be a layman. Sometimes the scribes were Pharisees, very conservative. Sometimes the scribes were Sadducees, less conservative. The teachers of the law were known as experts. They'd memorize the first five books of the Bible. They'd memorize the teaching the Torah, and then they would quote, they'd read the scripture, and they would say such things as, Rabbi Gamaliel says this about this text, Rabbi so-and-so says such and such about this text, here's my opinion, here's my thinking, based on my education from Rabbi so-and-so and such and such. Jesus enters the synagogue and from what we see in other texts, like, uh, like in Luke, he reads uh, uh, scripture. Maybe he's the visiting rabbi, and so they give him a scripture to read. He reads it, and then he expounds. Here, uh, in this very summarized text, this condensed text, Jesus begins to teach. And Mark isn't interested necessarily in what he's teaching. He's interested in pointing to us his authority, expressing to us Jesus' power in his teaching. Now, we know from earlier scripture 
verses 14 through 15, the, the general content of what Jesus preached and what he taught. Uh, in, in verse 15, if you just glance up there really quickly, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Wherever Jesus went, whether he was proclaiming out in the wilderness, uh, on the Sea of Galilee, whether he was in a synagogue, in more of a teaching setting, setting, that was the content. He was always talking about the kingdom of God is here. God's rule has come. God is reigning. What should you do with that? How should you understand that? You should repent. Turn away from a life that is not centered on God. Turn away from practices and habits and ways of living that isn't directed towards God or isn't following in His path. And turn to God and live under His ways and under His banner, under His leading, under His authority. Turn to God and, and do what He says. Turn to God and abide by His commands and obey the living God. The, the gist, the, the summary. Repent and believe in the good news that the kingdom has arrived. And, and in previous weeks, we've talked about how the kingdom right now, it started small, like, like a seed. But over time, over the centuries, it's growing and growing and growing to one day it will be seen. It will be experienced. It will be present fully and completely. We know the time that that's going to happen in the end is when Jesus comes back. We will see the kingdom. We will experience the kingdom fully and completely. And then we'll move into eternal life with the king reigning and ruling. But Jesus goes into the synagogue and he's teaching. He's calling again for belief. He's calling again for trust. He's calling again to turn away from wicked ways and evil ways. Well, uh, the, the, the people, as they're listening, they've never heard anything like this. They, they've heard it prophesied, perhaps. They've, they've heard certain elements of Jesus' calling and, and, and coming and, and proclaiming and teaching, but, but not to the extent that he's, he's talking about. He says it's here, it's now, but, but probably more importantly than that, according to what Mark wants to communicate to us, he taught with authority. He didn't say, Rabbi so-and-so says that, or Rabbi you know, from that town or that school said that. Jesus said, I say, I say that this is what's going to take place. I say that it's here. I say it's now. He taught with command. He taught with power. He, he taught on the same level as the, as the Scriptures, as the Torah, as the Word of God. And they were amazed. The, the, the words uh, that, that's used here uh, for amazement, for astonishment, it's like overwhelmed, in awe of what's happening. They, they, just, they, they have no category for it. When they say, what is this? They, they haven't been able to see anything like this. It's a, it's a new experience for them. It's a new, again, like a new category of, of experience with, with authority and power and might. Uh, as, he's, as he's preaching, uh, there is somebody in the room who is described as being possessed by a demon. Uh, synonymously, uh, Mark uses uh, unclean spirit and, and demons in his text. It means the same thing. The spirit that would make you unclean, the unclean spirit that brings about uncleanliness, uh, unrighteousness before God. Uh, we don't know how long this man was in the synagogue, how many weeks he attended, 
he was a lifelong member, but at some point in his life, the enemy took control. At some, some point in his life, he let the enemy take control. He let the enemy have a foothold. He let the enemy uh, guide his life until he couldn't control himself anymore. And so at the preaching of the Word of God, at the preaching of the announcement of the coming kingdom, at the preaching of, uh, of the, the, the king in the presence, uh, the, the demon can't hold back anymore. Uh, and we, we get a glimpse of his content. We get a glimpse of what Jesus was talking about and how the demon responded. Verse 24. What have you to do with us? <laughs> uh, what are you going to do with us? What do you think you're going to accomplish with us? And he's talking about, the, the, the unclean spirit is talking about itself and other demons. Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Uh, the, the demon knows a lot about Jesus. He is God's champion, the Holy One of God, God's victor, God's, God's king. Uh, the, the demon knows what's happening. When Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, it's at hand, it's, it's come. Repent, turn in the right way. Within that, it's understood by the demon that judgment is at hand. Uh, Jesus came, First uh, John 3, 8, came to destroy the work of the devil. Came to destroy the devil's work. One of the aspects of Jesus' coming. Um, judgment has come in Jesus Christ. The end of the age has come in Jesus Christ. That the king has come means that the world cannot go on as it is. That the king has come, has come it means that the world stands to be condemned unless they repent, unless the people turn. They're in condemnation for the rebellion against God. Remember when John the Baptist came preaching and that, that image, I, I can't get over it, the axe is at the root of the tree, you better repent, you better turn. The, the unstated truth that all the Jews knew was that when God came, judgment came. And so the demon is reacting to Jesus' presence and, and uh, knows that, that judgment is close. What would you do to us? Have you come to destroy us? Is now the time? Um, Jesus rebuked the, the demon, and, and uh, we, we wonder why. That, that's pretty good preaching in one sense. It, 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 in some sense, it underlined his message. It, it reinforced the message, but Jesus didn't want his, his gospel to be heard through the voice of a demon. He didn't want people to misunderstand his messiahship, uh, is, is, is if he let the demons preach, they would misrepresent things, they would, they would say things in the wrong way, the, 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 the Romans would get excited about Jesus as, as king and they might step in, so Jesus seeks to control and silence the demon. Uh, but, but what happened was that just as his teaching was authoritative and powerful and, and stunning and overwhelming, They'd never seen anything like this before. In the day, uh, the people knew the difference between demon possession and sickness. Uh, but typically, uh, fixing a possessed person was done by very long and difficult processes. 
in, in, in the secular arena, so to speak, not the Jewish arena, but the pagan arena, there would be magicians called in uh, who would have long and intricate rites, long and intricate ceremonies, chantings, and finding out the demon's name and, and, and controlling it, trying to control it and, and, and bring about a power upon the demon. And Jesus, unlike anything they'd ever heard or seen before, he speaks and the demon's gone. The foul beast is cast out just with his word. And of course, as we look at this, we, we want to understand, we, Mark wants us to, to know and understand that Jesus can do all things. And nothing can stand against the word of God. Nothing can, can stand against his champion, the Lord Jesus, the Lord God Almighty. He reigns, he rules over all things. And, and so they're just stunned, they're overwhelmed. Uh, what is this? A new teaching, a new way of teaching, a style, a new authority, a new power. He even cast out demons. Who's ever seen anything like this? What is this? Uh, his, the consequence of this, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. It's really interesting because it's Sabbath day. And after the synagogue service, right, in, in the, in, when you're on Sabbath, you're not supposed to be working, you're not supposed to travel very much. There, there's there's the, the law about not, uh, you know, it's a day of rest, but the rabbinical kind of extra law, you couldn't carry loads, you couldn't go very far, you couldn't, you couldn't do much. You're supposed to not, not, not do anything, really. <laughs> but you could talk to your neighbors. Did you hear what happened in the synagogue today? Did you hear what happened Man, from, from here to Manasseh in five minutes. From here to Sawatch in ten minutes. Everywhere, everyone's hearing what's happening in the synagogue with this man named Jesus. His fame spreads. And here we come to the point of what it means to believe. He brought his teaching. He brought his truth. In, in John 18, you know, I've come to tell you the truth. I've come to reveal the truth. He brought the gospel. He announced the kingdom's coming. He called for repentance. But how many people listened to his teaching? How many people did not choose to follow his teaching that day in the synagogue? How many people? How many people let his teaching go in one ear and out the other? And they didn't repent. They didn't turn. They, they didn't trust. They didn't be, become reconciled to God. They didn't put their life in God's hands. They didn't come under the reign of the king. Rather, they saw the power and they wanted what he could do for them. Which makes a lot of sense. If I've got a kid that's sick and I know someone could heal that kid, I'm going to take the kid to that healer. Makes a lot of sense if, I, if I've got some kind of a oppression from the enemy and, and I, I know that he can handle it. No one else can. I'm going to go to the healer, the demon slayer, the overcomer. But at what point does Jesus merely become a, 
a circus. At what point does Jesus merely become the one we look for for miracles, the genie that we bring out of the bottle to deal with our problems, and, and when we get them fixed, we put them back upon the shelf? Belief, so many, so many ways of people thinking in our culture, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but really practically, he's never a part of their life. I trust that you believe in Jesus, but has he been in your life this week? Have you been abiding in Christ this week? Have you been following Christ this week? Have you been praying to God this week? Have you been turning... Uh, your life into His pathways and obeying His commands this week? Or have you been living just like everyone else, living in the culture according to what feels good and what you desire and what you want? Are you the Lord of your life or is Jesus Christ? Look what happens. Verse 29. And immediately He left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. He came up to her, took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now sometimes I've heard uh, some some guys tease their wife about this text. Um, and, And sometimes it's been interpreted that way, like, oh, someone needs to cook the meal, and look, she's sick. What are we going to do about it? Jesus, can you heal her so we can eat? That's not the point of the text. (laughs) Jesus, uh, it's Sabbath day, and so where do they go? Sometimes we we think about Jesus and how he operated in Galilee for the year, year and a half, up to two years that he wandered from village to village. It seems that they had a home base. The home base was Peter's house in Capernaum. Peter was married which you go back to last week when we, we, we talked about what it means to follow Jesus. When Jesus said, follow me, he meant in all ways. And so single, married, uh, elderly, young, no matter what our station in life, no matter where we are, college student, business owner, employee, uh, sick, healthy, whatever, all of us are called to follow Jesus Christ in whatever context we're in. And following can mean so many different things. It can mean becoming a missionary and going to North Dakota. Following can, can mean leaving this current vocation and becoming a pastor or, or something like that. But many times following doesn't mean leaving. It means staying faithful to where God has placed you. Staying faithful to your marriage. Staying faithful to, to the promises you've made. Staying faithful to the things that God has placed in your life. That's following as well. Uh, but, but Peter, uh, the radical nature of Jesus' call in his life, he was called to travel with Jesus, even as a married man. His house is in Capernaum. His mother-in-law is living there. They had many layers of uh, generations, typically in those houses. They took care of their loved ones. Uh, so she's there. She's sick. We don't know the story of why there's a fever, what's behind the fever, what kind of sickness it is. But again, we see the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. Just as he cast out the demon, he cast out the fever. He touches her, he lifts her up, and he, she is healed. She, he has all authority, he has all might, he has all power, it's unlimited. 
Throughout Mark's gospel, we're going to see this again and again, that nothing's impossible for Jesus. Nothing's impossible for God. Mark certainly wants his original readers in Rome that are facing persecution by the government of Rome, that are suffering under the Roman authorities, to know that Jesus can handle their situation. He can deliver them from anything, even from Nero, even from the government soldiers. He can accomplish all things by His will, by His power, by His might. Uh, Sabbath is coming to a close. They're having uh, uh, the evening meal. We, we think to serve them, we do think that the traditional roles in, in that society, the, the, she, she made the meal, she served them. But isn't that a picture of what it means to respond to, to Christ? He saves us, He rescues us, He delivers us, and what is our response? Do we go on serving ourselves and living for ourselves and making much of ourselves? Or do we respond by turning our life over to Him and serving Him in our different vocations and our different settings and our different uh, circumstances? I think her life, what, what a testimony. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? It means to serve Jesus Christ. Wherever he finds you. She's a hero. In the, in the divine sense of the term. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't take what he did f- to her for granted. She doesn't just forget about it and go on doing her own thing. She responded to his service by serving them. Now, we could read much into that, but look at verse 32. That evening, at sundown, so, so Sabbath is over. The Jewish way of reckoning time was sundown to sundown. Okay, so the, the, the day ends, the Sabbath ends, and, and sundown comes. And so they could go to work. They could start carrying loads. They could start carrying burdens. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. They knew the difference. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And so what a scene, what a picture. Word gets out. It travels through the whole valley. Travels all around uh, Capernaum. And and everyone's coming out. Isn't it funny in our valley when there's something kind of neat happening or or something special happening? Man, it seems like everybody turns out. So they, they hear about a healer, they hear about a demon slayer, they hear about a deliverer, they hear about one who's powerful beyond the rabbis, beyond the, the magicians, beyond the pagan priests, beyond anything they've heard about before. And, and they bring their sick, and, and when it says he heals many, it doesn't mean he like selected some and didn't heal some, it means many, like lots of people. The hyperbole of the whole town turned out, well, so many people came to Peter's house, and Jesus was healing and healing and healing and healing. I'd take my sick relative to him. Wouldn't you? Of course you would. Of course I would. And yet, when you start reading texts like this, you don't see much about obedience. You don't see much about, like Peter's mother-in-law, kind of shifting her life in response. Uh, Jesus' preaching seems, as we go through the Gospel of Mark, oftentimes it falls on deaf ears. Oftentimes it falls on, on, on sinners that, that stay sinners. Falls on people that, that are good people or nice people, but they never get in line with God. They, they, never, they never start walking with God. They, they never start loving God. 
They stay, they stay in bondage. They stay trapped to their ways. And, and man, that, that, that sinful lifestyle, that, 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 that worldly lifestyle that so many people that we know in our neighborhoods and in our, in our, in our workplaces, we, we see that they believe, but they're, they're still living far from God. And how many of these people, they, they go to a miracle worker, but, but they have no interest in the message. They go for the gift, but they have no desire for the giver. They have no passion for the preacher. They love what the preacher can do. They like the show, perhaps. They like the deliverance. They like, like the rescue. But where is the faith in the gospel? Where is the following? It's a long night. Uh, the whole city came out. How long does it take to heal someone? I don't know. It seems as we read through the Gospels, Jesus, every, every situation was so unique, there wasn't this blanket kind of next, G, next, G, kind of a thing. Come on, we got a quota to make. It wasn't like that. He cared about each person. He knew each person's situation. I imagine he talked to each person, and, and the love was there. The compassion was there. The grace was there, of course. But you get the sense that even though Jesus is compassionate and he's gracious, he, these are sheep, they need a shepherd, and I'm going to love them. His purpose for coming was, was the gospel. His purpose for coming and identifying in baptism with Israel was to go to the cross. They, uh, he, he silences the demons again. Ironically, they know more than the crowd. They knew him. The crowd seems to be ignorant the people, they're not, not, not making a connection between Jesus, the, the miracle worker, and Jesus, the Messiah, the, the demon. But, but Jesus doesn't want the, their idea of him to be colored by, by the demons. He wants them to come to him on their own understanding. He wants them to look at his works and his character and, and who he is. And, and he wants them to surrender themselves to, to him, to turn over their lives to him because of what they see and by God's grace being revealed, their eyes are open, and he wants them to, to uh, the, the people to come to him fully and completely and lay down their lives for him, follow him. And he doesn't want the demons getting in there and messing things up, so he silences them. <clears throat> Verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Uh, the question is, why here? Why now? After uh, seemingly a successful ministry night, seeming a successful uh, uh, time of ministry, you know, sometimes when we look at what, what ministry, when we do ministry, sometimes we say, oh, that was a success by how many people came. That was a success by, uh, we have different criteria, different, different gauges of measuring these things. Uh, by, by, seems like by some standards, what a great night. What an awesome night it was. So many people delivered and so many people healed. But Jesus goes out four in the morning, five in the morning to pray. Went to a desolate place. And, and in Mark's gospel, remember when we looked a few weeks ago, the wilderness is the place where you meet with God. Back in the day when, when God called Egypt out, uh, of, uh, Israel out of Egypt, he brought him into the wilderness where he formed a relationship with them and he, he drew, drew near to them. And so again and again in Mark's gospel, we see the wilderness, the desert places as places to meet with God. He has to go meet with his God. Something isn't right. Something isn't, isn't on track here. 
And, and, and we, we see what's, what's happening in, in the next verse. Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. Come on, rock star. Come on, big man. Come on, boss man. Come on. Get your acclaim. Get your applause. Get, 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 get what get, get, they want you. They, they need you. They're desiring of you. And, and then you could just hear Jesus saying, oh, I know what's in a man. I know what's in people. I know that they want what I can do for them. They don't really want me. I think Jesus went out there to pray because he was tempted. You know, popularity and fame. His fame extended everywhere, Mark hinted at the previous verses. Did he come to be famous? He came to go to the cross. He was on a mission. And maybe that applause and maybe that, 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 that fandom... You know, these people are fans now, man. They're, they're, they're cheering for Jesus. Let, give me more Jesus. Give me more Jesus because of what he can do for me. Where I think belief means we've chosen to love him. Belief means we've chosen to follow him. Belief means we've chosen to turn our life over to him. Belief means we, we pursue him in love. Man, everyone's looking for you. You can, you can hear the excitement in the disciples' voices because in their minds, Jesus is going to be king. Jesus is going to be the rock star of their age. He's going to rescue them from the Romans. He's going to do everything that we want him to do. Everyone's looking for you. But Jesus said, verse 38, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons, a summary statement. (laughs) He kept meeting the demons wherever he went. He kept meeting the crowds wherever he went, but he kept preaching. He keeps calling people like you and me to give our life to God, to turn over our life to God, to trust him with our very life. We think we know what's best. We think we know how uh, life should work and, and we pursue it and we grab a hold of things and we, we grab uh, that path or that, that, that lifestyle and we think that's the way to happiness and joy and peace. We're trusting in God says, I'm going to follow you even if it doesn't look like the best path, path for me. Trusting in God, belief, so I'm going to repent of worldly ways and I'm going to turn my life over to you. I'm going to surrender my ways to your ways. I'm going to make that great exchange where I'm going to walk in your paths because I trust that you know what's best, that you know what I need, that you're going to lead me to the best end. Have your way with me, Lord. I repent and I believe. We will, uh, I've noticed in my life, I I tend to default back to uh, using God for my own ends. I I get on a a good path for a season, you know, maybe health is there, maybe uh, happiness is there, maybe things are going very well in my life, and it turns out that after a few days I'm not praying to Him anymore, or I'm not uh, praising Him, I'm not thanking Him, 
after a few days, I'm, I'm in my own rhythm, and do I really need God? Huh. Uh, maybe for you, that's the way it goes as well. To repent and believe means that we are dependent on Him, that we are uh, keeping our relationship with Him close, or making our accounts close. Uh, we're, we're not departing from Him. We're we're, we're walking with him, that metaphor, that analogy of walking with him through this life, keeping our eyes on him, believing what he says is true, and loving him all the days of our life. Uh, if Jesus is just a miracle worker that you keep up on the shelf in times of need, it makes sense. I mean, you're not wrong for going to Jesus. You're not wrong for crying out when your kid's sick, or you're not wrong to cry out to God to end this drought. Of course you're not. We should cry out to God to bring rain. We should cry out to God to bring an end to our political strife. We should cry out to God to help us overcome the covid but believing in Jesus is so much more than that. Brothers and sisters, may we give Jesus our life and not just our requests. May we follow Him in all of our ways. And may we see His goodness at the end of time. Do you need today to repent and believe? Do you need to bow before the Lord today and give Him your life? Do you need to leave the old life behind? Submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do so today. Turn to Jesus today. Trust in Jesus today. Make up your mind by the power of the Spirit to follow Him today. Today and forevermore. Our Lord God Almighty, we thank You for coming. We thank you for calling. We thank you for commanding. We thank you for not leaving us alone in this world. Give us the grace, Lord, to believe. Give us the grace, Lord, to trust. Give us the grace, Lord, to follow in your steps the rest of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God, 
by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.